You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Today's episode is sponsored by my group coaching program, Foundations of a Yoga Business. Learn more, sign up, or get on the wait list at teachingyoga.net slash foundations. Themes are a wonderful way to make your yoga classes feel thoughtful and cohesive. As teachers, we sometimes get really excited and want to teach everything we know in one class, which is clearly impossible and definitely not the best way for our students to learn. By using a theme in our classes, it limits the menu for possible things to talk about in our classes, and yet that limitation can actually unleash our creativity. My guest today, Michelle Marshallden, is an award-winning journalist and the author of four books on yoga. Today, we're going to talk about her book, Theme Weaver, which is a textbook that yogis can use to create inspiration and speak authentically from the heart. Michelle is a longtime professional journalist, and she's been teaching yoga since 2007, based in Denver, Colorado. Some of the topics we cover in this episode include how to stay inspired, how to connect with students, and some different approaches to finding inspiration. Michelle is super fun, and she loves to see the lighter side of yoga and life, so you can expect to smile and even laugh a lot as you listen to this conversation. Michelle, welcome to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. So happy to have you here today. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. You're the author of two books for yoga teachers on how to weave themes into your classes. In fact, one of them is called Theme Weaver. And I'm curious how you first got interested in this topic. First, thank you so much for having me. It's really a thrill to be here. And my intention always is just to help teachers be the best as they can be. I mean, don't we all want to take better yoga? The way I got into it was I was a writer for many years. I graduated Columbia University with a master's in journalism back in, um, well, I probably shouldn't even say now because it was the dinosaurs were roaming the, the, the world. But um, I was a working journalist for about 20 years, and I worked for newspapers and magazines. And then I left the working world to raise my children. I, um, we were married. My husband was traveling. Uh, we couldn't work it out where both of us could um, continue our careers, sort of another topic for another podcast. <laughs> But um, I was in a yoga teacher training with my teacher, Amy Apolity. And, you know, I just, I knew as a teacher, I could do some things well and, and other things that were challenging, as any teacher probably feels they have strengths and challenges. But for me, my strength was always theming. And I, it was for me, it was like a marriage of my ability to communicate and be a journalism um, and a, a major and be a writer and also to marry my love of yoga. I mean, I was practicing 15 or 20 years, and, and so both came very naturally to me. What made you decide to write a book about it? What made you decide to kind of specialize in theming? Did people ask you about it, or did you just kind of have a, a light bulb moment? A little of both. Um, so I was working with Amy Polity here in Denver and the Boulder area, and she would do a lot of teacher training. She's world known, world renowned right now. And um, anytime somebody had trouble 
with that part of the teaching protocol, she would say, oh, you need to work with Michelle. She's the theme weaver. And so not only did she recommend me or, or, or draw a light to my talent, but she gave me the name theme weaver. And so that's why the book is dedicated to her. Oh, that's lovely. That's a sweet story. So tell me, what is your definition of a theme? I think that there's a lot of different ways that people theme. And so we probably the audience for this podcast, we have primarily yoga teachers, but also teachers in training listen to this podcast. And so I'd love to hear your take on what it means to theme a class. Wow, you know, I've done a lot of interviews and I haven't actually been asked that. And that is a really brilliant question. Um, you know, for me, I've gotten much more relaxed in my older years here. Um, I think in the beginning when I was teaching people, theme, I was very rigid and I wanted them to have an opening, you know, four or five things to say, um, a quote, and to tie it all together perhaps with um, motions that you would teach in the body, physical actions, and then the pose. But, you know, over the years, I realized it's just so hard for a lot of people. And so to me today, what is a theme? It's anything that you can bring light to in a practice that's not physical. So it could be just having students notice their heart. Maybe it's students noticing their breath. Maybe it's students noticing their intention. And not just by saying set your intention, which a lot of teachers say in the beginning, but giving them a little direction. You know, a lot of our students, especially this time of year, early in the year that we're recording this, and we have a lot of new students. And when you say set your intention, their intention is I want to live the next 55 minutes. But, you know, maybe we could direct them to something higher, you know, like, um, you know, finding a soft spot in your heart or, or um, you know, thinking of love or gratitude. There's so many ways that we can direct a student's consciousness. And when we think about yoga, when I think about yoga, I think about it as mind, body, and spirit. And so I do believe that just moving the body can create this kind of transformation. But I think that if you bring in the mind and spirit, it's it's a, a quicker path. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned earlier that a lot of students struggle with theming. Talk to me about what are the struggles that you have seen most often? What are the things that the people who Amy sent to you, what were they specifically struggling with? Uh, it runs the gamut, but I'll tell you what I work with the most. And I work with a, in a weekend workshop with studios with this too, because haven't figured out a way to do it on the internet where I can give you feedback because one person won't have the same struggle as another. One person might be feel very natural bringing in a myth like about Ganesh um, and creating a story and a class around it, whereas another might feel very uncomfortable talking about um, either mythology or, or perhaps themselves. So it really runs the gamut, but if I had to pick one thing that was hardest for everyone, it's what we call the weave or the weaving, where um, most teachers can maybe state something in the beginning of class and say, you know, today we're going to think about gratitude, but, you know, all of a sudden the end of class comes and it's, so how about that class on gratitude? Whereas if you could remember to say a couple things in the middle of the class, you can bring the student back, you can bring the yogi back and and uh, help them remember what their offering is. So what are your techniques? What did you tell people to do when they struggled with the weaving part? I have a formula. And um, the great thing about a formula is that um, if you plug in your words, you give it 
10, 15 minutes before a class, you can get yourself together um, and have something to say. You know, perhaps some people criticize a formula because they feel like it limits creativity. But here's what I'm going to say about creativity. And I'm a creative person. I write books. So I know something about creativity. My mom used to have this saying. She would say it's the, it's the same old pasta, just a different sauce. And so when you think you're always being original and saying something new and you don't prepare and you fill out a formula and you see what you're really going to say, guess what? You sound the same all the time. And someday, I joke in the book, someone might commit you if you're always saying, let it go, let it go, let it go. But, um, but in fact, we don't realize how we say the same thing unless we have someone there like a teacher or another student who would say, oh, you know, you said this five times in the class. You probably could get away with it just three. So what is your formula? So my formula is called the other eight limb path. I think that's really cute because, you know, the eight limb path and then the other. Anyway, no one else thinks that as cute as me, but <laughs> I think it tickles me, so I'm keeping it. But um, the other eight limb path is there to help the student find enlightenment. And what it is, is um, it's just eight um, pieces of the formula for Theme Weaver where you plug in the title of your class and maybe the underlying emotion, gratitude or peace or nurturing. And then you... Um, it doesn't take as long as one would think, but you use your phone or your computer and you look up a couple quotes and people always tell me, well, I don't have time to theme. And I say, well, do you have a phone? How long does it take to get to the internet? And they'll be like, oh, two seconds. So I was like, mm, that's how long it takes to create a class. And so, um, so from there you, to weave the theme, you have golden nuggets. And so what the golden nuggets are is they, um, you create five little statements like, um, just let go. What are you fighting for? Um, you know, time to take out the trash, whatever your theme might be. And you just remember to say one or two of those things in the middle of the class and voila, you've themed it. Got it. Well, that sounds like it would be really helpful for people who are starting out and need you know, need a structure to follow. I, I am totally in agreement with you. I am a huge fan of structures. I'm a huge fan of formulas, not because I think that we need them as a crutch, but because I think that when we have the formula in our back pocket, we are actually more free to be creative. For example, you might have a theme and because you know, you have those little golden nuggets you can actually relax and end up being creative and you might end up saying it differently from the golden nuggets that you wrote down because you got into the moment because you knew you had those golden nuggets in your back pocket. And so then you relaxed into watching the students, being with the students and sharing the essence of your intention for the class versus, you know, you can share, I think it's totally fine to share a memorized piece, but eventually having that memorized piece is kind of like, um, music. I'm not a musician, but I hear that you do a lot of scales and then you have those scales in your pocket <laughs> and then you pull out the scales in these different combinations and these different ways of, you know, different rhythms, things like that. And so that's music, that's creativity right there, but it has the foundation of these scales. Ah, you are a hundred percent. I know there's no such thing as 110%, but you hit the 110 and I'm going to make you an honorary theme weaver because that's exactly, exactly my point. Because if you don't do the scales, if you don't do the work, if you don't sit down and give it 
15 minutes of thought, what are you going to do when you're in the room on your feet? It's always harder to think on your feet. And of course, we have the student who's on fire. We have the student who's, you know, in, you know, a position that she could hurt herself. We have a student, we've got the whiner owner you know we've got all those students in the room and we're trying to say think of something inspirational so much better if you plan that out ahead of time and i also want to refer back to what you said about saying the same things over and over where we obviously we don't want to repeat ourselves too many times in the same class tell me if you agree with this but once you've been a yoga teacher for a while let's say a decade or so you realize, oh my God, I repeat, like I've said it all before. <laughs> I've said this all so many times before, but it's new to the students. It's fresh to them. If you can show up and you can, it can be alive for you when you're sharing it. it it's the same stuff. I mean, it's not like, so this is, um, I have a Facebook group for yoga teachers. And one of the things I do is when people request to join, I ask them some questions and I ask them, what are you struggling with as a teacher? So one of the things that people are always struggling with is continuing to come up with fresh content, new content. And I'm like, listen, after a while you give up on it <laughs> because it, I mean, the essence of what people struggle with, we're struggling with the same stuff over and over. It's not like their struggles change. It's not like embodiment, being in a body, being alive. That doesn't change <laughs> over the 10, 15, 20, 30, 50 years that you teach. So eventually you just learn your scales better and you learn which scales to pull out in the moment so that you can feel connected to it because it feels relevant because it is connected to what the people in front of you need. I often in my own teaching, I've been teaching 12 years now. I feel sometimes, um, oh God, it's the holidays. I'm doing clearance odd body again, the theme that I love so much. And then the funny thing that happens is that I have students who come to me at the holiday time and they say, are you doing the clearance theme today? Because they love the story. And I realize that's what you're saying. It's not old to them. And it's not old to me because I tell you what, one of the one of the paths, I would say, one of the steps of the eight limb path is contemplation. And I really do feel, and I tell this to my trainees all the time, the most important part is when you just take a moment to write in your journal, why did you want to even teach this today? What was interesting about it to you? And that little connection, that's a real gem because, you know, I'm going to tell you, I was just, I have a blog that's going to come up in the next few days. I just haven't gotten it written yet. Um, here in Denver, we have a new yoga studio called Hotworks. Have you heard of it? Nope. So, we have two opening up this week, and um, you go. it's $40 a month for unlimited classes. But get this, you go in, there's no teacher. You um, put the teacher on the screen up on the overhead. And you, uh-huh, if you could see her face, listeners, her face is in shock. And so this is what I would like to tell the world is that I told you so. I told you so, world. I told you so that the, our competition is not each other. It's YouTube and the Internet. And so what studios, this hot works here in Denver has just discovered is that it's cheaper to put a tape up than to, than to pay. And we don't even make that much. And it's apparently cheaper to put the tape up. So the one thing teachers have that a videotape doesn't is connection. It is the one thing we can do. So when I go into a class and I say today's theme is resilience, which is what I taught yesterday, because it's about, um, actually it was resistance yesterday, resistance. And I talk about this instance 
that happened with my son. It was very personal to me. And what are we resisting? But it's universal where everyone has something in their class or in their body or in their feelings that they're resisting. And the exercise is why. And when we figure that out, that's your yoga class. You can find a story that illustrates it or a myth or a little instance from your own life. But that's what keeps it fresh. And that's what keeps you inspired. It's those contemplations. And that's what keeps yoga studios from putting up a video in the classroom. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, I'm very out of the loop. I'm curious how long this lasts. I'm curious if this is really going to work, this business model. Are you going to go and and like be the guinea pig and try it out? I guess I hadn't thought of it, but since you've mentioned that, I have to say I'm, I'm an older student and I do enjoy my home practice. And when I go to yoga, you know, I'm going to kind of the slower classes because um, that's where I am in life right now. But um, I guess I could pick slow teacher. <laughs> from the video arrangement. (laughs) I have no idea, but that's the whole thing. It would probably make a fantastic blog post. Yeah, so I'm going to put this up. Um, We're talking now in January in case somebody's listening at a later time, but my yoga site is yogimuse.com, and I'm definitely putting this up. And the name of the headline is, I told you so. Well, you'll need to do a part two after you actually try it, right? Right. And see, but, you know, it has to be very similar to when you take yoga on the computer or on your phone. You know, I love the internet, the new internet accessibility. It brings yoga to so many people, but what it can't do is really bring that instructor to you. They can't see what you're doing. And I've had people come to my class after years of practicing at home and they're doing things really, uh, you know, wrong is a big word. But um, they're doing things not optimally for their alignment, and they're doing things that could be harming their body. Just because if you do it with repetition over and over, um, it can hurt the joints in time. And so, you know, there's nothing like a real instructor. That's my two cents. Yeah, absolutely. Because when we practice at home alone, when we don't have anybody to give us feedback, we're going to always be moving in a way that's habitual. And everything that is habitual is unconscious. And so, like you said, it's not that the way that they're moving is wrong. It's just that they're not necessarily aware of the effects of how they're moving. And so they're not choosing their alignment and their, uh, their way of engaging in the poses consciously. They're just not choosing it consciously. It's just a habit. And In general, for humans, there's positives to habit and there's negatives, but biomechanically, habit is not super optimal. For a nervous system, there's some benefits to habitual movement, but for, you know, on a biomechanical level, it's a good idea to mix things up a lot and to be conscious about how you're moving. Yes, I agree completely. And, you know, um, it's the same for inspiration. I I have to be honest, I I take some internet videos and when they do their so-called inspiration, I find it annoying because they don't know what I'm looking for that day. You can really only connect to a human being, human being to human being. And maybe that's old fashioned of me, but that's how I feel it is to um, inspire each other. That when you listen to the people who are doing inspiration, I don't think it's quite as, it doesn't land as if they're really sharing of themselves in a way that you can relate to. I think it's much, much harder to do online or over video. I totally agree. 
And I think this actually is a really good point, which is the point of vulnerability and imperfection, where if you are in a room with people and you are vulnerable, it's okay to not present your theme perfectly. It's okay Mm -hmm. to mess up. And in fact, that is one of the benefits of being in person and having that connection that it actually endears you to your students when you're not perfect. And when you show up and are vulnerable and imperfect in person, it's very powerful and and it can have a profound positive impact on your students. That's true online as well, but it's it's more difficult. And I think that there's more judgment online, like, you know, <laughs> more expectation of showing up like in a more polished way online, but in person is there's that deeper connection that you're talking about. Yes. In person, it's just two people on the path. And, you know, I often say, well, perhaps I've been doing it longer, but we're still just two human beings on the path. And we can, I, my husband has this, he's a management consultant and he has this expression I really like when he goes into a brand new company, he, um, he usually says, you know, I have part of the answer, but I think you guys have part of the answer and we have to figure out which parts we can put together to find the solution. And it's the same when I'm teaching yoga, like if someone has a body and it, it's hurting in some way, you know, I may see something in their practice that I could assist with, but they also have part of the answer of how things feel. And so we have to really work together. And it's the same with inspiration. I also wanted to add that I think it's perfectly fine to not theme. Mm. And I say that right in the beginning of Theme Weaver. You know what? If you're having an off day, don't. The yoga is good enough. Moving is good. Movement heals. Movement is what the body needs. And so if it's just, I wouldn't try to force it. I only try to theme out of a sense of love and inspiration, not duty. That's great. Great advice. Because I do think that when you try to force yourself, that is when you have these themes that don't quite land or they don't feel genuine. I know that that's a fear too that yoga teachers have is of not taking on this fake yoga voice or pretending to be someone they're not. So can you speak to that a little bit about making sure, like how do you help newer yoga teachers or even yoga teachers who are newer to theming? Maybe they came up in a system that didn't include themes. And so they're very experienced biomechanically, but newer to themes. How do you stay connected to your authentic voice? We do some exercises in my workshops where we're trying to get down to the heart of things. And, you know, quite often my student teachers cry. And so I have the nickname Barbara Walters because I'm just trying to get down to the real reason why someone teaches. And often that real reason, if we really look in our hearts, why did we come to the map and why did we stay? It's usually an emotional reason. You know, there's usually some pain behind it. And um, getting in touch with that is the work. I always call that the work. And you know what? Not a lot of people want to do that work. And it's okay. You, If a person's really good at teaching a flow or a vinyasa and people love their class and they high-five each other or something or skip around and it's popular, then so be it. But to me, that um, that couldn't hold my attention, you know, as a student. But, it, but it's fine. I don't want to condemn it. I really think that the best yoga is the one that you do. But if a person's just not willing to really do their own analysis of why they want to teach and what the themes are that are most important to them. I can't do it for them. I mean, 
nobody can do that. And, and is it wrong of me to say that it comes at maturity? No, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think that's wrong because having taught yoga teacher trainings for many years, I have noticed that there are some people who now there, everybody comes into the teacher training with a different background, but the more mature you are, the more background you have to draw from. And so there are some people who leave teacher training and they're excellent because of their background, physical therapist, personal trainer, Pilates teacher, whatever, because of their background, they're excellent at cueing the body. And there are other people that are excellent when they leave teacher training, like right away as a teacher, immediately they're excellent at theming. They're excellent at bringing something intangible into their classes. And that has very rarely been a young person. The only young people I can think of are young people with really strong meditation practices. And it's not that their verbal theming was incredibly strong. It's that their presence was mm -hmm. really strong. Yeah. I, I don't think that it's wrong to say that it comes with maturity. I think it's a frustrating thing to hear when you're young <laughs> because you don't want to wait to become mature, you know? And I think that what I am hearing you say, and, and, you know, feel free to correct me if I'm not quite hearing you right, but you can fast forward your maturity through self-inquiry. 100%. But you have to be willing to do that. Now, I mean, this, I, I want to also say that I've met some young people who are just so wise and so mature, and they they inspire me. Like I wish I had been that kind of 20 year old. I was the kind of 20 year old, like Fleabag on the television in that series. I don't know if you've seen her, but she's a little on the wild side. So that was my twenties. I wasn't very introspective, but, um, you know, God bless these young people today. I brought two millennials into the world and they are so wise and so introspective. And I, my hat is off to, the younger generation, I, I just can't believe how beautiful many of them are in terms of their thinking and their sensitivity, their caring for others, their compassion. And I think it's in many ways they were raised in a time where our universe is threatened, our earth is threatened, we're living with you know terrorism and so many more wars, that they had to be raised with a certain consciousness that I just wasn't. I was walking with my dad in New York City this weekend. We had seen a movie. And um, we heard a siren, and he said to me, you know, when I was growing up, that was an air raid siren, and we all had to take cover. And he said, your generation has no idea what that feels like. And it's true, um, but I do feel the young people know the sound of an air raid siren, not physically, but metaphorically in terms of the planet burning up, and they've become much more introspective at an early age. Yeah, and I love the way you phrase that. And it really brings this clarity that when, and now I know that you're older than I am and I'm not a young person anymore, <laughs> but when we talk about maturity, we're not talking about it as if like we're better 
it's more like, no, you're going to be better than us when you're our age. <laughs> like it keeps getting better. Y'all are starting out higher. You have way more information at your fingertips. You, you know, if you're a younger person, if listening to this. So this is not a place of superiority that we say, you know, age, time, this, you start to ripen as a human. It, it's more like in wonder that we look back and we look at where young people are now and we're like, wow, they're going to be so, so amazing, you know, once they've had a little bit of that time to, time to ripen. Marinate. Marinate. That's good too. Yeah, exactly. I love going to young people's classes. I love to see where they're thinking and what they're thinking about. It really keeps me fresh. And um, I used to teach a class that was only for older students, 50 and up. And, um, you know, I, I have to say, one of the downfalls of being our age is that the class can quickly go to, oh, my back, oh, my ankles, oh, my elbows. I mean, give me 10 minutes and a little wine and I'll take an hour of telling you what's going on in my body. But with young people there, they look at you like, ew. And so you hold back and it's really nice. And like you, you woman up or you man up or you age up when you have young people around and it's been a delightful change for me. So what about some advice for marinated teachers? Because so, and marinated humans who become teachers later in life, this is a, this is a common thing where we we're seeing a lot of people using yoga or teaching yoga as a second career or a retirement, not exactly hobby. It's like beyond hobby. It's like a retirement vocation. And so they have all of this life knowledge and wisdom What's your advice to them for how to best bring that out when they're first starting to teach? Oh, goodness. And, you know, um, I do have a lot of those students because they like me because we're all in a similar generation. So, um, you know, it's very similar to a younger person. We're all going to have our um, area of expertise. Um, you know, there's a group called Comeback Yoga, and both the founders were my students and teacher trainees for a while. And they were both veterans. And I um, just think the world of what they've done, they've gone and taken their experience and compassion for wounded warriors, and they've turned it into a yoga and yoga training project. Um, and they're retired, and they give their lives so much meaning by taking this interest of what happens to warriors when they come home from war and what kind of support do they need. I have another gentleman who um, just recently retired about four months ago. And he is, like you said, he's looking at this as maybe a little additional income. But I think the thing that he's really doing is he's looking at it as a way to find himself after all these years. He worked, you know, he worked 10 hours, 12 hours a day um, in a very demanding job. And, you know, this generation of baby boomers didn't really have a lot of time or encouragement to do the inward work. And so this is their time. And I love that, that, that um, you know, perhaps there's a piece that they can share and perhaps there's a piece that they're still working on, just like all the rest of us. And it's up for each of us as teachers to know. You know, I, I do warn older people that um, they may not be as interesting as they think they are and their experiences may not be as relevant to today's crowd. So I'm um, going on and on about how it was when you were growing up. <laughs> might be a turnoff to some people. So um, we have to keep everything in perspective. And um, I often tell my teacher trainees to please wear a watch. And if you notice, you've been talking for a very long time, shut up. So you, you're, we've talked a lot about 
doing the inner work, introspection. Give me some examples for you of what specific assignments you give your students. What does it look like to do the inner work when people are working, when yoga teachers are working with you on learning how to weave themes? Okay. So I think the first and foremost question has to be, well, why are you teaching yoga? And um, in the beginning, when I do these workshops, the answer is always to share my love of yoga. And that's a very nice thing. But, um, you know, it doesn't really answer why did you come to the mat? Um, and so we have to do these kinds of question and answer drills. And we have to um, say statements like if-then statements. So if if you practice yoga, then what? You will love it. And if they really feel that that's the case, then why do people walk away? How come not everybody loves it? And so they have to figure out how to say those statements, which I call a value proposition, um, for themselves. It's a kind of an internal path. During a, the course of a weekend, um, you know, it gets easier and easier. And that piece of the path, this value proposition, becomes really an indispensable tool for you to find out why you teach. But in general, I do a therapy technique. And so we'll do one-on-one -on -one talking. And um, we ask the question over and over, but you can't ever give the same answer. So the first time I ask you, why do you teach yoga? You might say, to share the love. And then I'll ask you some more questions. Why did you come? Why did you stay? I'll ask you who your favorite teachers are, but more importantly, which teachers don't resonate with you. And I'm trying to have you figure out why. So I'll get an answer like, well, a teacher moves too fast. And I'll say, well, why didn't that resonate? And she'll say, well, because I didn't feel that she saw that I was struggling. And so then I'll say, well, why do you teach yoga? And she can't say at that point to, because I love it. She has to say something more real. And she maybe will say, I want to help others who are struggling as well. And so then we start to get down to the heart of the issue. And once you realize why you teach, whether it's to nurture people or to help people find themselves, help people feel self-esteem, I feel like we have a real crisis in the world today of low self-esteem. I've never seen such a crisis in my life. Again, it's different in generations. Um, um, once you get to the heart of it, then you can find themes that feel authentic and will speak to people one-on-one, -on -one, like from your own insecurities to theirs. Even though it sounds like it's an insecurity fest, it's not. It's a lifting each other up festival. I have to say that I think that themes are the place in a yoga class that can be so wonderful and yet so awful. And I do want to say that I feel almost responsible for having launched um, 10,000 terrible yoga teachers in the world because maybe everyone gets the idea that everyone is going to be great at this without doing a little bit of the work. And just I come into yoga classes sometimes and people just start talking and talking and talking. And I don't even know if they know what's coming out of their mouth, but it's not stuff that's helping one's yoga path. It's not either alignment cues or this. It's just a lot of stuff. And, um, and then they'll say afterwards, well, don't you want me to be authentic? And I'll say, well, our job is to be authentic, but most importantly, our job is to serve a student. And so whatever comes out of our mouths or our actions or our assists is there only to serve our students. And if it's not, if it's serving ourselves, because this is what I call our middle child moment, 
that we have an audience and now we're just going to sit there and talk them to death, that's not serving our students. And so I just ask people, please share consciously, please share wisely and share a theme and of yourself in a way that really helps your students. You're only here to serve. Mm, so good. So, so good. Absolutely. I, I agree with you 100%. That's a message that I think can't be driven home enough. You're home practice is for you and your teaching has got to be primarily for your students, even though you will get benefit from teaching. As you show up there, your every cell needs to be in service while you're there. Then you can go home and do your own practice again. Yeah. And you've done a good job. And, um, and that's our primary, our primary goal for that hour or 90 minutes is to serve somebody, to help somebody, to have someone leave feeling better. And I'll always remember this moment. I did a lot of training in Tucson, Arizona at Yoga Oasis. And um, I did a lot of training down there um, in my going to my 500 years ago. And, um, you know, I remember being in the room and the teacher at the time was starting her theme and she was going on and on about something and happening in her life, which was important, but it was, you know, a lot of theming. And then she, um, she said to the room, so how do we all feel? Are we ready to start our practice? And some woman raised her hand and she said, I was feeling pretty good until I got here. Ouch. Right. And so, ouch. And um, I don't want to say perhaps that's all happened to us, but I do know that when we go, when we're ready to share a theme when we're not um if we haven't contemplated on it enough if we haven't achieved wisdom from it um my own personal thing is um hope experience wisdom and you know what if i can't laugh about it it's probably not ready to share i i love a great laugh and a great giggle and um you know, for example, I theme a lot on my divorce. I had a divorce years ago. I called it my starter marriage. And um, I always theme, you know, like the second time is the best one. <laughs> and tell my second husband that the third time might be the charm. And, um, <laughs> you know, we have a lot of fun. We do the poses twice because the first one's a starter pose. And I just give people in that class permission to fail and permission to have fun with our own individual failures. Now, I have another friend who's going, who went through a divorce. And she started every class in tears, talking about how her husband was narcissistic and trying to take the children. And then she would say to me, well, how come my classes are empty and yours are full? And I said, because you're not ready to share that yet. It has to percolate a little. And you have to get to the place where you've learned something and can share that experience in a positive way. And so, you know, I, it's really hard to know the line, the fine line of when you share something that's real and vulnerable and when you bring somebody down. And I'm telling you, that is not our job. Our job is to have people feel better when they leave, not worse. So guess what? They're going to go to the hot work studio and get the teacher on the video. I, I'm pretty sure that those teachers are probably going to be relentlessly positive. They're not relentlessly positive. Let's hope that they're not talking about their narcissistic exes taking their children. <laughs> so life is so hard. I, I think that that's what you can't get away with on video. People are blunt online. So if you did that and you released that video out into the world, then you would be getting comments. The comments that people are thinking in those classes, you would be seeing those in your comment section online. True. Um, you know, I, I have videos available on yogadownload.com and I um, 
this is from many years ago. And so sometimes if we all look at our classes from years ago, you're cringing a little bit like, oh, how could I have given that cue or how could I have asked them to do this transition? But, um, you know, when I do do my, my online classes, I'm a lot less funny and a lot less personal because you just don't know who's watching. Totally. Yep. That makes sense. Well, Michelle, it's been such a pleasure and I hope that people listening have gotten some great ideas about how to do that inner work and how to show up in their classes in service. And if people listening would like to find out more about you, where can they find you? If you can't find me on the internet, there's probably something wrong with you. But I say that as a joke because a lot of people do have trouble with the internet still. Those are my people. And so... (laughs) Just put in Yogi, Y-O-G-I, Muse, M-U-S-E, because Michelle Marshall then will be really a mouthful. And um, you can find my books on Amazon or wherever books are sold. And there's, thank you, everyone, so much for listening. And the reason I say that is it's not for me and, and to buy my books, although that would be great because I do have children to support. But the real reason is, is thank you for doing it for your students. I really, really want to all of us create stronger, more powerful, more confident, more authentic teaching so that we all have that wonderful experience when we come to yoga. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you so, so much. Thank you, Mato. As a teacher, I personally love using themes in yoga classes, but the truth is when I'm a student, I don't actually care too much whether there's a theme or not. So if theming isn't your thing, don't force it. If you enjoy it, that's awesome because it's one of those skills you can refine for the rest of your life. But if it feels like a burden or like you're adding one more thing to an already complicated task, it is perfectly okay to let it go. I used to have a lot more strong opinions about what makes a good yoga class, but the longer I do this, the less I feel that we need a lot of bells and whistles. We tend to be drawn, I believe, towards teachers who are able to be present as they teach not teachers who know a lot or have a ton of tricks up their sleeves. Now, the way this gets confusing is that sometimes those things overlap, meaning teachers who have a really strong presence also know a lot. But I believe the first quality is more important. I've taken plenty of classes with teachers who had a ton of information, but the class itself fell flat for me because the teacher wasn't really there. So if you're a newer teacher, Trying to do too much at once is going to distract you from your ability to be present with your students. Follow your passions, increase your knowledge, and teach what you love, but don't let those things distract you from actually seeing your students and responding to them as you teach. That's my PSA for today. Thank you so very much for listening. Until next time, remember to make time for your self-care and your personal yoga practice, whatever that looks like.